Men are built for the demands of life. The breadth of our shoulders bears the weight of responsibility in our homes. The depth of our voices projects strength to the world. And the length of our stride, our ambition, propels us toward career success. Man Up For Life is the coaching and speaking brand you need to reach the heights of your individual and organizational greatness. Responsibility, power, and ambition will cease to overwhelm you and begin to inspire you. To get started today, contact Demetrius Love at manupforlife at yahoo.com or at manupforlife across all social media platforms. Responsibility, power, ambition. Don't be overwhelmed. Be inspired. Start today. Thank me tomorrow. All right, y'all. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Motown Philly podcast. This is Tim Golden here with my co-host. What up, though? It's your boy, Jason Hall. What's going on, guys? Yes, yes. This is episode 43 of the Motown Philly podcast. And Jason and I are here today at the beginning of a very special month of the year. Today is the beginning of Black Music Month. That's right, Black yeah, Music yeah. Month. And so today, Jason and I and our lovely co-host give her a round of applause. The lovely Miss Vita Starr from the City of Angels, all the way down there, beautiful Southern California, is joining us. What's up, Vita? What's yeah. up? <laughs> What's up? All right, all right. It's so good to to hear your voice and see your face. And Jay, same for you. Jason, man, tell the people how grateful we are this week and always. Yo, guys, we are extra grateful today. We are in the middle, basically moving towards the middle of the year. And we have a momentum in this podcast that is actually super tremendous in the fact that we understand from our metrics that we are gathering more and more followers and the gratefulness and gratitude that flows from our hearts from us to you guys is absolutely, absolutely exponential. So the super gratitude that we express in this moment is for you guys for every download for every listen for every share for every follow and subscribe we are thankful for and if you're not in the facebook group if you're a new listener get into the motown philly podcast room on facebook and uh follow and and uh, subscribe yourself to it and uh we will of course let you in but we are super excited for what's happening in this month um our our guest host i, I like the term you use in the show notes <laughs> our resident yes. our resident our resident host um but i'm thinking also about those who will be coming um in the in the near future to our podcast so we're just super excited yeah uh, yeah from our from our awesome uh co-host uh vita star to the guests that we have lined up for this month and going forward, we have some exciting things coming your way and we look forward to sharing them with you. So, okay, folks, today we are talking about black music. Now, I know it's not Black History Month, no. which was started by Carter G. Woodson in the, I believe it was 1920, if I'm not mistaken. And it was and it was started as Black History Week. Carter G. Woodson was a professor of 
history and a PhD from Harvard University in history. And so he started Black History Week, which became Black History Month. But in 1979, President Jimmy Carter first recognized the month of June as Black Music Month. And so this month, we're going to be talking about about black music. And today, to get things started, we're going to be talking about the impact that black music had on us in our childhood growing up. What was the impact of black music on us growing up in childhood? Vita, would you like to get us started with this conversation today? What was the role of black music in your upbringing, Vita, growing up down there in the beautiful city of angels? What was that like? Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's like, I feel like when you are, especially as a, as a black child, you have the era that you're being raised in. And then there's the era that your parents were raised in. And then there's the era that your grandparents were raised in. And you are literally living in all three simultaneously musically, <laughs> right? And so I feel like that was definitely my experience growing up because not only was I listening to the music that was on the radio um, at the time, right? And the music my peers were listening to, the music my neighbors were listening to growing up in South Central Los Angeles specifically where hip hop was predominant um, and R&B uh, R that was influenced by hip hop, right? Um, New Jack Swing and all of that was, you know, extremely popular at the time of my childhood. Um, as far as my early childhood and as far as I can remember music. Mm -hmm. um, but also there's this era of transition because I was born in the 80s. But, you know, so Janet Jackson was huge. Michael Jackson, of course, is huge. But then there's also the music that my parents grew up listening to in their early childhood. Right. It's like the Temptations, um, you know, early Motown, Stax Records, um, all these sort of like, you know, Isaac Hayes and, you know, um, you know, all the things that they listen to. And then the fact that my grandparents had me, they listened to that influenced my parents. Right. Mm -hmm. So all the blues that they listened to and the jazz that they listened to. So I feel like I always grew up with music both my parents are very very much into music all styles of music really both you know including um rock music country music to some degree um because my dad was a guitarist my mother used to sing um so i always had music around me all like without a, like without a shadow of a doubt but the music i would say that hit me the hardest is hip-hop hip-hop has been like the central part of my life so but there's no hip hop without the other genres because, mm -hmm. you know, so much of what I know about even older music comes from hip hop. Even to this day, I listen to music and I go up listen to what they sampled in hip hop. And I appreciate the songs that they sampled or the songs that were remade by R&B artists that I grew up listening to. Right. So for me, black music is just it's, it's in my veins. It's, it's what I breathe. And, and when I say and it's in, like many black households, it's what you took to. Right. It's what you cleaned to. It's what you woke up in the morning to. My mother used to play the radio. That was her alarm. Right. So I woke up listening to Mary J. Blige because I was on mm. the radio. Right. Or Nas, if I ruled the world, is how you woke up in the morning. Right. Um a tr my mother also listened to hip hop, so I, you know, Tribe Called Quest, Outkast was a, it was a big part of me growing up. So, um, Grand Poobah, <laughs> you know, stuff like yep. that. 
um, yep. Pete Rock was my mother was a big Pete Rock fan. So you have these sort of um, this this uh, this sort of like influence in my life that went on to basically dictate what I became so dedicated to, which is what I something I gravitated to, which is something I feel is my culture. Right? I went on to work in the in the hip hop industry as a journalist and in in radio. So it's been very central on my dad's side my dad being a musician he introduced me to so much great music right so i was listening to like stanley clark at a very young age right like who even knows who stanley clark is um by the way vita my father got stanley clark his first job stanley clark used to what (laughs) that's crazy wow that's a crazy now listen so you're so i remember standing i remember sitting on my living room the sofa in my living room and my father telling stanley clark Boy, you ain't gonna get no job if you go into the audition and you haven't taken a shower. You gotta make sure that you walk wow. before they hear you. They go if they can smell you before they hear you. You ain't you ain't gonna work there. So, that's a fact, yeah. though. That's so sad that he had to tell him that. To be real, yeah. <laughs> I, for real for real. So yeah, Stanley Clark, uh, definitely. Yep, my father got Stanley Clark his first job. Yep, that's that's, that's a that's a dope story though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure Stanley Clark uh, yeah. family doesn't want that out, that but um, but that's a great story. And but that's the see things like that, like just or music like that, or just anything. Like I just feel like my family always wanted to make sure that music was a central part of my life to the point where my brother plays piano and has you know his music producer. My baby brother, who's 17, is interested in making music and. Um, it, it, whether and, and it's not like it has to be something that we're all like, you know, we have to be famous artists or anything like that, but it's so central to who we are and what we're passionate about that it's just in the fabric of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Jay, now you can't be from Motown and not have a story. I was thinking the same thing. Boy, I know you got a story <laughs> about music and your upbringing. I don't know if it's an ex- it's more of a story it's more of an experience like um we've talked about this a little bit off camera as we were pre- prepping not today but before thinking about this particular topic you know i do rock this detroit pistons or detroit tigers uh hat and it's just like as it as the music and the culture is ingrained in me it's it's so much more of me knowing that it is an it was the experience growing up in detroit with the music around me understanding that detroit is known as uh, motown but not it's known as motown for the motors but not really it's 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 about the hits that came out of the motor city if you will and the rich tradition of um artists like Smokey robinson um aretha franklin you know jackson five got their start um from hitsville um in that particular town me personally i i can remember way back in the day for me i'm, I'm trying to think of like when was music when did it first get on the scene of my recorder in my brain and there were many subtle vibes of what music was. My my mom was a devout Christian, and I remember gospel being played in my in my home a lot. And I can remember tunes of uh, going up the rough side of the mountain and, and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace and things of that nature that just 
were the be the very beginnings of understanding that music and culture in that particular city was something that was really powerful that resonated with me if you can if you guys can understand the feeling i mean we we're talking about um black music month like music almost guided us in a, in a lot of ways and how we how we responded and felt to what we were actually listening to when it came to the gatherings that we had whether they were in the church or whether they were in the community or in our backyards or in a picnic um at a park somewhere music was like the almost like the backdrop or the background of who I was uh as an individual and I can think about as I got older I remember sometime in the 80s uh, probably 1984 I remember a song called Celebrate who sang who who uh, did that song Celebrate good time come on like it was cool in the game cool in the game we sang that at my church too funny enough <laughs> oh wow and the, yeah you see how the the intertwinement of of the music really hit but that to me in the in the year that that the Detroit Tigers won the the World Series talk about something being ingrained into your soul like the fact that i can remember in 1984 that was a song that hit hard in our city because we were actually celebrating something really monumental i don't think the Detroit Tigers have won since 1984 right tell like that's crazy I think you're probably about right with that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just like to know that that was the music that was cemented in the background of who we are. And then you want to fast forward, you guys, you know, I'm always thinking sometimes about sports. You fast forward to the Detroit Pistons of 1989, 1990 where we won championships again and it there in enters um MC Hammer with you can't touch this and that's what the whole y'all don't get it the whole city was rocking with with MC Hammer in these really baggy pants talking about you can't touch this and it was just crazy going on in that particular city that um the the background of music in in Motown in my era there's so many experiences and perspectives that can be drawn from a particular city and a particular time of the city um as far as where where you are and what you're listening to I remember how hip hop as Vita expressed how it was a main staple of 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 the culture in the mid to late 80s going into the 90s of how we began to understand what uh black culture was and how it was moving in that time we had Kumo D we had Run DMC with my Adidas that was that was a crazy era where we wore kangos like everyone in Detroit was wearing kangos and shell toe Adidas and we were just rocking that my Adidas because that's what MC MC uh that's what uh um you know what was it uh Run DMC and they they played in that particular group and it was just it was just kind of like the tapestry of 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 music a conglomerate that really told stories at different times through the late 80s early 90s that really cemented like my idea of uh black music and hip hop really with all the other things that mixed mixed together with it that really 
helped to establish me and my love of, of, of black music to where we are today. Can I ask you a question, Jason? Do you feel like there has been any correlation at all or, you know, maybe there hasn't been between Motown making black music, pop music, because before that, black music didn't really pop like that. Like there wasn't much crossover in that way until Motown, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like that had an, any type of impact in seeing black artists become pop artists had any impact or influence on black people in Detroit seeing artists that they've seen in their community because I, I remember you know I would read articles watch documentaries and hear people say yeah I would look in the windows of Motown I could see the artists you know uh, you know performing a recording or going into Motown I was just wondering do you think that ever had any impact to be able to see these same artists and go pop I mean I mean, that's, I think that's a very interesting question, Vita. When I think for, first of all, let's just acknowledge, right. The panel that we have us, me being from, um, the motor city, uh, where Hitsville USA came out of, and a lot of the legends of black music and black art came from, and we have Tim, Tim golden from Philly, where he was, where music has been a staple in that particular side. Um, of the country and we got uh, LA with you being there Vita and how like our cities really help create and, and sh- create and structure the culture of black music as we know it today and it's and it's not just a little bit it's like it's a lot and that's that's a tremendous feat just to kind of sit back and observe but when, to, to hit at your question I'm thinking that you know there had to be some type of heavy influence of pop when you think about the influence of black culture and black music because um there was a genre change because our music uh when you think about aretha franklin and you if you've watched her documentary or some 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 movies that have come from that have spoken the story about aretha franklin and how there was a transition between what was typically considered to be gospel and then started to become like a more popular genre of of popular music you think about whether it was Smokey Robinson Aretha Franklin and and um and the Jackson 5 like those were pivotal in the tra- in the I guess the continuum of transitioning into a music that was that would be more popular you mean you got the Jackson five and Michael Jackson comes out of there. I don't think that we can say that Michael Jackson's music was primarily uh, hip hop or R and B was definitely started from almost as a, maybe at, at a point it was R and B, but it was more of a pop sound. I mean, I mean, to classify Michael Jackson, he's in the class all to himself, but you know, he was someone that helped to spearhead, what we knew a certain sound was into what it actually became to be as far as that hard hardcore sound of what was you know a pop music i'm not sure if i answered that question totally but it was definitely i think a genesis of a new revolution of, of what music we know today pop that pop sound what do you think tim well i think you just described something incredibly complex and <laughs> incredibly cultural and that to me is what is so beautiful about black music is that it 
it is music, but it's more than just music. It becomes fashion, right? Mm. It spills over into, you mm. know, when I was when I was in when when me and Solomon was in high school, right? And I used to rush to get to, we used to rush to get to the lunchroom. Yeah, talk about that Philly experience. Like we need we we got our experience. Tell us, bro. I used to rush to get to the lunchroom to get the beat so Solomon could rhyme. And, and the thing in those days, there was a there was an Italian tailor named Joe Palmieri, and he made tailor made pants. And we used to we used to get, you know, if you could afford it, right? If your mom and dad could afford it for your birthday, you might tell them you wanted to, you wanted to get a pair of Joe's. And to get a pair of Joe's was to go to the tailor, he measured you up, and he made pants that were straight up with no pleats and no side pockets. The pockets was on the top. And the way you the way you went to school was in a new pair of Joes, you could get them different colors. You could get them blue with red pockets, red with blue pockets, black with a gold pocket. But if you had on a pair of Joes, uh, a Kango, some Neo style frames and some and some top 10 Adidas that you wore with the tongues out and you tucked your pants inside the tongue oh man you was you all the way live yeah but that, that experience came much later for me for me growing up with black music my first exposure to black music was sitting on my sofa as a kid i can remember back to when i was four years old mm. and i used to sit there and i used to watch my father who was a jazz musician he played the piano I would watch him play the piano, y'all, for hours, and I was just transfixed at how his hands would roll across these keys, and music would and a sound would come out, and then I would go over to the piano when he wasn't practicing, and I would do it, and it didn't sound <laughs> nothing like him. Nah, bro, nah. And as a kid, there's this disconnect, right? You don't under, you don't associate him being able to do that with any sort of skill or acquired uh, or any sort of acquired uh, uh, skill and and effort that it goes into practicing. And I would just and so because we had the piano in our house and uh, he played with a bass player, a saxophone player, a drummer and a singer they would all come to my house and the drummer was a guy named earl curry and earl would be in the corner on the drums the drums would be set up it used to drive my mother crazy because my father had to we had to move the furniture and he would be like timbo come here boy help me move this chair and we'd move everything around and and so earl curry would be in the corner and then Bootsy Barnes would be right next to him, standing on the bottom step that went upstairs to the next level of the house. Mm -hmm. Bootsy Barnes played the saxophone. He would be standing there uh, playing the saxophone. And there was a bass player named Charlie Hicks who used to have his bass set up by the by the front door, by the by the vestibule, and he would be playing the bass. And then there was a there was a singer. Her name was Peppy Piper. And she was about, man, she couldn't have been no taller than four feet 11. Wow. But when she, when she opened up her mouth to sing, boy, the whole neighborhood. In fact, we had neighbors across the street who used to say, 
uh, Timmy, go in the house and tell your tell your mother to leave this in the during this time of year, spring, summer. They say, boy, go over there and tell your mother and them to leave the leave the front door open because we you know we just had the screen door because you could hear the music, mm. you could hear it in the neighborhood, right? And the people outside, the people across the street, my neighbors, they would cut, they would sit down outside and they would listen, mm. you know, they would listen to the music. And so for me, that was jazz was the biggest influence on me growing up as a kid and i'm really a 70s kid so we're talking about like from my earliest memories in like 1971 1972 i'm hearing jazz then i'm this is before hip-hop this is like seven years before hip-hop really came on the scene mm. so in addition to jazz then i started hearing uh, funk music, Parliament, Funkadelic, right? Hearing songs like Aqua Boogie and Flashlight, right? And there was a guy named, there was a character, when you went and bought the Funkadelic album, my older brother went and bought the album, there's a record store called Sounds of Germantown. And that was like a trip, man. That was a treat. You got to go to Sounds of Germantown on Saturday. You go over there, you fish through the records. And in those days, you know, of course, there was no, nothing was electronic or whatever. Every album came with a story and you opened up Funkadelic's Aqua Boogie album. And it had illustrated animation, cartoons. There was a character in the story named Sir Nose Devoid of Funk. And he refused to dance. And the the whole moral, the whole objective of, of Funkadelic, the group, was to get Sir Nose to dance because mm. he was he was like a he was like a wet blanket at the party. Like mm -hmm. he wouldn't dance. And so I had jazz, I had funk, then I had my sisters who used to stand in front of the TV set on Saturday afternoon and watch Soul Train. And of course, Soul Train is broadcast from LA. And right. all my sisters would be standing there like, hey girl, I can do this dance and I can do this. Yeah, yeah, she ain't doing nothing. I can do this too. You know, and all they would talk about was my one sister, Debbie. She would always say, man, I got to get to California. She was like, I got to get to, I got to get out to LA so I can do my thing. Mm -hmm. So, so there were, and of course there was, you know, Don Cornelius who, it to me you know i mean this recent documentary about him he turned out he was buck wild you know he was doing some crazy crazy stuff and wasn't the best person in the world but the way that i saw him the way that we saw soul train uh the way that we saw james brown right mm. i mean my gosh james mm. brown everything you know i went from jazz to to james brown to parliament funkadelic and funk music to George Clinton, Atomic Dog, right? Went to all of that. And then in 1979, something really strange happened. A song came out by the Sugar Hill Gang. And man, the hip hop, hippity, the hippity, the hip hip hop, you don't stop. And that, you know, when hip hop first came out in 79, they wouldn't play it on the radio during the day. You could only hear hip hop between midnight and eight in the morning. Wow. That's the only time you could hear it. And there was a DJ in Philly named Lady B. And she used to play it 
There was a rap group from New York called The Treacherous Three, L.A., Sunshine, and Cool Mo D. That was before Cool Mo D broke out on his own. He was part of a group. So you had a lot of hip-hop groups. And between my father and watching Soul Train and James Brown, and then by the time I got to high school, hip-hop was in full swing. And then when I was in college, it was like Rakim, KRS-One, and and everything sort of just came together so music was it was everything for me people tell me i have an old soul and i think that's just because i i actually knew more about jazz growing up and jazz music than most of my people in my age group most of the people in my age group simply because it was played in my house mm. with mm. Larry. Like I, I would hear Count Basie's one o'clock jump and I would know what, what it was. And my friends at school would be like, man, what you listening to that old people music for? I was like, I don't know. Maybe my dad old, I don't know. <laughs> so that's what it was like for me. It was, it was sort of eclectic. And to this day, my music taste is very eclectic. When I got to college, I began listening to gospel a little bit. And, you know, I found that certain music fit certain moods that I was in. Like if I felt like I needed to be inspired, I would listen to some gospel. If I felt like I wanted to be mellow, I would listen to some jazz to this day. I was grading some papers the other day, listening to Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, right? <laughs> that's that's just sort of the way it went. And, I, and if I'm feeling upbeat and funky, I'll put on James Brown. If I feel like I need a little respect, I'll put on Aretha Franklin, you know? So it all it all just it all just comes together. It's really fascinating the way it, it in some ways I wonder and this is a question I have for y'all. Does music make us who we are or does it bring out who we are? Ooh, the chicken and the chicken and the egg <laughs> question. <laughs> Go for it, uh, I think it's a mix of both though. I think mm-hmm. it's a, I don't think it's a I don't think it's an either or. I think it's definitely a mix of both. Because I think that on one hand, I think there's music that definitely helped me identify more with who I am. Cause there are certain songs that, you know, you connect with. So they help uh, you express certain ex- parts of you that you maybe you didn't know how to express, or there are certain ways to um, connect to, they, they give you a language for things mm-hmm. that maybe you didn't know how to um, put into words before. Right. Um, uh, like one of those albums for me was Reasonable Doubt by J- uh, Jay Z, right? Um, and also, there's another, there's certain songs by Taylor Kwali that also did that for me, or songs by Deb Prez that did that for me, where I needed the, I needed, I didn't have the language necessarily to kind of put things into words, I love that. but I wanted to say mm-hmm. around social justice and the issues that people were facing on the ground day to day. Um, when I say so for example the song The Evils by Jay-Z right there's this particular line where in the song he's playing the role of a stick up kid and he's saying homie you don't know me but the whole world owe me strip right as as this kid is robbing somebody and that line is one of those lines that always stuck out to me in my social justice work as well as my work in direct services working with kids on probation and kids who have gotten into trouble for doing things like that right and when I say that brought that I felt like that kind that song, even though I heard it first as a you know, as a young person, as a child, 
um, as an adult, even I would say that line brought out more of who I was because it gave me an empathy that I don't know um, that that it gave me a language of empathy or understanding of what someone who does something like that is experiencing, right? The way that they have to navigate the world. And so when I got into that type of work, even, you know, it was already in me, but that sort of that line is something that gave me sort of that, that, that expression of it. Um, and at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of influences that happen in music. Um, I know for me again, um, when it came to feeling empowered, right. That I could make change, that I could make a difference, that I could learn, right. That there are times I've learned from songs. I learned about a lot of revolutionaries, um, through music. I learned who past artists were (laughs) through music, right. Um, I learned who Wasada Shakur was from listening to hip hop. Um, Mm -hmm. So these are things that I feel like, you know, there's a, these are things that make me feel like there's a mix between, you know, making you who you are, but also bringing out who you are. Um, and also sometimes it's, it's like, and also even the party music has its place, right? <laughs> right. So sometimes a certain song comes on, I might get out there and shake my ass and I'm having, and having a great time. Um, you might take a picture of me and say, oh, look at who me, look, that's Vita, that's who she is. Look, you know, like, yeah, that might be, that's me as well, right? Um, because I'm having a great time and this is the spirit of the song, the spirit of the music, and it's bringing out who I am. But it also might be influencing me because that beat is so damn hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my take on it. <laughs> oh, I, I agree with you, Vita. I, I think you're 100% correct. I, I don't think it is an either or. There's times when uh, music can make you, uh, can inspire you to to do things and sort of uh, sort of make you who you are. And then there's other times, I know times when I feel like I need to pull something from within me that I already have and I need to listen to a certain type of music to bring that out. Mm-hmm. So for example, there's a song and I, I want to just get into a Philly mode for a second if I can song by you know Lil Kim a classic lighters up right and in lighters up one of the lines is 12 year olds prostituting hitman hired for execution there's no solution right and that remind that line right there reminds me of Derek Bell right and the permanence of racism there's no solution to this earlier in the song she's talking about how Brooklyn is basically a war zone that's subject to constant surveillance by the police and that very few people outside of Brooklyn are interested in helping anyone there, but they're mostly interested in locking people up. And when I think about Lighters Up and when I think about her song with the locks, money, power, respect, and I think about that era of hip hop, that early 2000s era of hip hop, and we talked about hip hop and fashion, that's when Allen Iverson came on the scene and basically changed the game. Like the cornrows, you know, like the Jordan era was a suit after every game. You know, you never showed up to the microphone at a press conference without a suit and tie on. And here comes Allen Iverson with baggy pants, cornrows, gold around his neck. And he's talking and the mic is hot and he's he don't know the mic is on and he cussing somebody out, you know, and you hear all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then he turned around, looked at the game, like he, he look at the looks at the media and he's like, What up? What's wrong? 
what's the problem? You know, and, and you know, you see all of that. And to me, that is uh, sometimes, you know, I just had to be honest. Those of you who are listening out there, I, I got to say deep down inside, I know Jason and Vita give me a hard time about, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff. But don't let the PhD and the law degree fool you, right? There's a part of me that is definitely Philly, and it comes out every now and then. Sometimes I need it to come out, right? And when I need that side of me to come out, sometimes I listen to a song like the like that early two thousands hip hop, and uh, like like Diddy, uh, Diddy, and what was that song they had? It had a monster beat to it. Uh, bad boys for life mm -hmm. bad boys for life they did the video with Shaq and all these other people in it and stuff like that so yeah that's uh that's good music and some and that part that part of it pulls out who I am and then sometimes I hear a song and it taps into a side of me that I never even knew was there and mm -hmm. I'm like whoa where'd mm -hmm. this come from right mm -hmm. and and sometimes that happens so Music is just a, it's just a beautiful art form and it speaks to just about every dimension of the human spirit, external, internal, and it seems to come to us just when we need it. Just to piggyback on that, I mean, I think the two of you brought out some, some really good points and I'm kind of like trying to, how do I classify that? How do I make that a little tangible for myself? And it's just like music can be um, very informative it gives us information and um or it shares information at the same time it can also be a, definitely as a form of expression i like what vita said like um tim and i you've talked we we've talked about this but the idea of like putting language to feelings thoughts and emotions that we have but not yet have or, or have the opportunity to express so when you hear something, you're just like, oh, that's what I'm feeling or, oh, that's what I'm going through or or nothing really expresses better than what I'm feeling or going through than this particular song. I don't or haven't had the opportunity to express, but this song is really doing a great job of expressing. And then the fact that, you know, we talk about social justice awareness, I think in my day and age, I think of the strong song um, that came out with Public Enemy and Fight the Power. Like you think about 90s music for me, understanding early early 90s, you have Do the Right Thing and Fight the Power. That's that awareness. Those type of songs were, were built for the awareness of social justice causes that at that age, honestly, I wasn't aware of. Like I didn't grow up in a house and I didn't have a school setting that really educated me with a solid with the solid base of my blackness um my culture i grew up in a christian in, in a christian um in a predominantly christian household and so whether inside or even outside in my in my christian setting as far as school i wasn't being informed of my culture so but when i listen to hip-hop and i listen to public enemy and fight the power and um, those things really resonated in me and made me aware, like, yo, what's going on in my society? What's going on in my culture? What's going on in this culture that where we have a clash and it just, you know, it carried on through the 90s. Now you have N.W.A. 
and you know the things that they they um you know talked about in their music as far as uh police brutality and things that were happening in in our neighborhoods that were things weren't really going too well for us but so this awareness factor when it came to black black music was like a kind of a a siren if you will that allowed me to say you know lift my eyebrows up and say hey what is actually going on hello motown philly family you all need to know that this podcast is sponsored by the speaker's mechanic the speaker's mechanic is a business enterprise of my co-host jason hall who is a communication skills coach and he's also published author of a book called a vocal owner's manual he works with professionals who are looking to improve their communication skills and i guarantee you that if you work with him he will improve yours check out his book on amazon again it's called a vocal owner's manual and you will be certain once you check him out to improve and get better because here at Motown Philly, that's what we're all about. And that's what his brand, The Speaker's Mechanic, is all about. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks to The Speaker's Mechanic for this sponsorship. All right. Welcome back to three <laughs> of the Motown Philly podcast. Tim Golden here with Jason Hall and the lovely Miss Vita Starr. And we are just having a wonderful conversation today about black music. And I think just before the break, Jason, you were talking about the early 90s hip hop. And of course, the early 90s, it was a time for me when I was in college. And when I was in college, y'all, I was president of the Black Student Union. And so I was starting to formulate my own political ideas and you mentioned do the right thing jason when when fight when public enemy came out with fight the power in that summer of 1989 boy that was a hot summer in philly i'll never forget it in that summer of 1989 i remember going to see the movie and my my favorite song by public enemy is nine one one is a joke? Mm. I thought that's. I thought the critique of that song. I thought that the critique of emergency services embodied in that song was so powerful because I I felt like it went back to a line of Florida Evans in Good Times when something had happened that required the police. And uh, Florida told Thelma, Thelma, go ahead and call the police. And, you know, she said, Ma, you know, they're not going to come. This is the projects. And Florida looks at Thelma and she said, you tell them we white. <laughs> As if to say, if they think we white, they definitely going to come. And I just remember Flavor Flav saying, get up, get up, get down. 911 is a joke in your town. Meaning that if you call 911 and you're anywhere near the hood, chances are it's going to be a while before they get there. But the so the political critique and the social critique embodied in hip hop really took a turn for the better, I think, with Public Enemy. But I just want to point out in terms of social justice, isn't it ironic that Radio Raheem dies in a chokehold by the police mm. in Brooklyn. 
in in a in a fictitious film in 1989, and then you fast forward to 2011, and who do we see die in a chokehold by the police in Brooklyn? But Eric Garner, saying he can't breathe. It's crazy. It's crazy how how that all came full circle, don't you think, Jay? I mean, I, I, my part to that is like we saw that on the on on the big screen way back in '89, and then it manifested itself again in actual real life reality um, in this technological age. But um, I don't think Spike Lee was stretching when he created that scene of Radio Raheem being choked because there were just no cameras back in the day. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, in one vein, I would like to think that, hey, man, it was what what type of, uh, I don't know, prophecy, if you will, like, wow, that, that could happen. No, no, no. That shit happened. <laughs> that shit was happening. And it, I mean, Spike Lee got that part of the film from somewhere. And Vita, I'd like you to chime in here because if I'm not mistaken, in the late 80s and early 90s, the Los Angeles Police Department was famous, it, famous or infamous for its use of the chokehold on black suspects. In fact, there's a Supreme Court case called uh, Lions versus the city of Los Angeles where uh, the Supreme Court, uh, this guy's arguing for the chokehold to be stopped. And the Supreme Court said, you don't have legal standing because you have to show that there's a likelihood that you're going to get the chokehold again. And Lyons was like, what are you talking about? I'm black and I live in Los Angeles. Isn't that enough? So, so, so this kind of thing was going on, right, Vita? Yeah, I actually want to take it back to um, there was a song by an uh, artist named Toddy T called The Bataramp. And that was uh, another song that was huge. That was huge here in LA. That's so during the crack epidemic, they had a Bataramp. They would, you know, bust into people's houses with that, right? Um, so they were, you know, raiding people's houses for crack and things like that. So that was another song, you know, in hip hop that sort of represented what was taking place at that time in dealing with the police so that was something to me when we talk about music and we talk about you know addressing issues i thought you know bringing up radio rahim in that scene because you know that was definitely talk about influencing music being influenced outside of just i'm sorry hip um black music being influential outside of just the music itself you definitely have to talk about film right um how many soundtracks have come out um, from, from black films that have classic songs, black music um, out of them, right? Um, so Spike Lee films. In fact, I discovered a playlist on Spotify that has all these various um, soundtracks of just Spike Lee. I have a whole section of Spike Lee playlists um, from a bunch of his movies, right? Um, but even beyond that, I was also thinking about the history of black music addressing social issues. And that made me think of, I mean, from the very beginning, if we just talk, even talking about Negro spirituals during our enslavement, right? Us getting free, talking about freedom. You, you brought up gospel music, Jason. I mean, a lot of gospel music, it, we, I think sometimes, especially me being someone who isn't religious at all anymore, I was raised in a very religious household. Although, funny enough, the, my dad, he was very religious, 
we didn't listen to gospel music in my house um, as much as we listened to it at church. <clears throat> my dad was more into like Christian rock, funny enough, because my dad was into rock and funk music, I guess that's why. But, um, but, the, but when I think about the history of gospel music itself, it was more than just about the the God aspect or the religious aspect of it. It was bigger than that. It was about our freedom. It was about us seeing something bigger than what we were experiencing here on earth. And one of my favorite songs, my mom, I learned to appreciate as I got older, when I was a little girl, my mother, my mother was very much into gospel music. She was raised her whole life in church, but I wasn't really raised with her my entire life. But, um, but I do remember her singing this song called Going Up Yonder, right? And I didn't know what it meant. You know, she would always, you know, I know we sing it at funerals, <laughs> but I didn't know what going up yonder be with my Lord. Um, because mother would always sing this song going up yonder because this, but it made it, it made death sound so beautiful. Like, mm. don't like, yeah, you can mourn me, but don't worry. I'm going up to be with my Lord. Basically, I'm leaving this painful place. I'm going to a place of peace. So this is a positive thing. Um, but also looking at we're going to make it we're going we shall overcome we shall move forward we you know if you look at the black national anthem right um uh, lift every voice and sing like I just like this continuously we've made we've made music about addressing our circumstances about going forward um about motivating ourselves and then we look at the 60s and the 70s just music about what we were experiencing Curtis Mayfield and his history of making music talking about our circumstances what we were experiencing um I, one of my favorite songs is Freddie's Dead well I like I, there's a great documentary about Curtis Mayfield I found it on YouTube somewhere and he talks about how he wrote music and, and it was funny I actually found a clip of him writing music about the civil rights movement and things like that but he's trying to perform it it's like in front of white audiences they don't know what the hell they clapping to offbeat but <laughs> it's but it's so powerful at the same time because he's on TV singing it and you know all the black people are all glued to their television watching Curtis Mayfield sing um, and, and it, I think that's part of sort of our history of addressing issues being motivated to talk about these issues and not being afraid to stand up to talk about these issues, right? So in LA, we have NWA, right? Um, we're talking about fuck the police. We're talking about, you know, the issues that we're facing here, right? We have Ice-T. We have, you know, and, and um, so it's not foreign to us as black people to talk about it. It may even, even in the face of black pe white people getting mad about it right and even if it wasn't in the lyrics even if it wasn't in the song it was just us being present and gyrating i was like a little richard right um but since, we didn't even get into that part the influence mm -hmm. the influence that we've had in, on everybody else there isn't a single genre of american music that we didn't have a hand in creating if we didn't just outright create it Mm -hmm. I watched a whole eight hour country music documentary. I mean, eight series by eight hours country music docuseries. Is that the one on? Okay. There was one on Amazon that was really good. Yes. I think it might be on Amazon, but it's PB. I think it's a PBS originally PBS documentary. And it's really, really good. And it's even they couldn't deny the fact that the banjo was an African instrument. And black people had a strong hand in creating country music. We're the foundation of it, right? 
the influence of what we've created here. And what's wild is I don't I don't watch the Grammys. I don't care about the Grammys. The most you'll get me to do is watch a clip of a really good performance. But I don't care about them awards because I can't watch white people pat themselves in the back and give each other awards for stuff we created mm. and then throw us a few bones for a genre or two. Right. I can't I can't watch that. I get upset every time because everybody gets how how come they didn't give Kendrick this award? Because it's they shit. They don't care, you know, but I, I, the Little Richard documentary is one I always recommend to. I watched that. I told uh, Dr. Golden about it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I know you have a lot of affinity for Little Richard as well. But he stop calling me Dr. Golden. I loved calling you that because it's so fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Little Richard, Kick for example, Dr. Golden. <laughs> but think, but I want to get this out about Little Richard that I'm gonna move on. Let me let you, I'm gonna let you guys have it. But Little Richard is somebody who also has had such a huge influence on music on every artist you can think of. That's every flamboyant artist. When I say flamboyant, I mean just showy, lots of loud colors. And you talk about Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga wouldn't exist without a Little Richard. Prince wouldn't exist without a Little Richard. <laughs> okay. Let's just keep it all the way 100. All these people that Bon Jovi literally copied Little Richard, right? All these people wouldn't exist without Little Richard. Yep. He's somebody who definitely took the reins of being who you are and yep. saying, this is who I am, I'm going to do it. And he did it at a time when black folks, white folks, wasn't nobody doing it. Yep. He got he does not get the credit he deserves. So I wanted to make sure I made that point too. You ain't, you ain't never, I want to. I want to put in a plug, Little Richard. I want to put in a. I want to. I got a plug for Little Richard too. Then I got. I know y'all both do. Y'all both clearly do. <laughs> then I got something about John Coltrane. Here's, here's my plug. Here's my plug. Yo, Little Richard took took my family out to uh to dinner, on yes, Little Richard in in a Podunk town of Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we went, yo, little. If y'all didn't know, little Richard went to church in a uh, small what? little town. My uh, a good friend of mine who will probably be on this podcast sooner or later, Myron Edmonds. Um, he had a little church in Tennessee before Myron was Myron. But well, Myron was always Myron. Let me put it like that. But little Richard showed up. It was an evening service. It was already dark. Little Richard came in with his bodyguard and a and. And sunglasses as dark as the midnight hour. I don't know what. Sat down. They had the little worship joint pop off. And then little little Richard enjoyed it because it was a musical service. It wasn't like just preaching and what whatever. And um Little Richard enjoyed who who spoke and I think was like a gospel rapper thinking about music, right? And he enjoyed it because it was uplifting. He can understand what was happening. He was like Y'all want to go out to Denny's? <laughs> we was like, what up, little Richard? Took us all out to Denny's. And we had a good time. He sat and he hung out with us. Had the sunglasses on all the time. The whole time. Pitch black outside. He hung with us. And that's my little Richard story. Man, look. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> little Richard was just that dude. Look. I told Vita this story before. I think you heard it too, Jason. I had just joined the church uh, that I'm a member of now. I had just got baptized a couple of weeks in. And I'm sitting in church. This is in Houston, Texas. I'm in law school. I'm sitting there in church. 
And this dude comes in in a purple sequin tuxedo mm-hmm. with tails. And these two bodyguards, man. And he he came where as soon as he walked in, the pastor was in the middle of, you know, he was giving the announcements and he said, Church, I gotta I gotta stop right now, because if you saw what I saw, you'd understand why I have to just introduce to you none other than Elder Richard Prettyman. And man, he said, better known to y'all as Little Richard. That dude called him Elder. <laughs> I turned around, I saw, man, I said, that's Little Richard. Man, he went up there to the piano and sat down and sang a hymn. There wasn't a dry eye in that church. Mm-hmm. And he stood up and said, honey, I done had more men than Diana Ross, baby. Let me tell y'all something. Let me tell y'all something about these worldly people out here. I'm going to go ahead on and tell y'all young people, ain't nothing out here but trouble. Y'all better, y'all better sing these songs for Jesus. I, and I'm sitting wow. there is on the flow. Like, what in the world just happened? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, let's not run past that one part you said. You said, honey, he said what? He said, honey, I done had more men than Diana Ross. Tell you Wait, that, that, that is so twofold. One, he's at church talking about his homosexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. But two, he's throwing Diana Ross under the bus. Why are he talking about her business? <laughs> Look, man, listen. And then he sat back down and the pastor said, El- Elder Pettiman, could you give us another number before you go? He said, yes, Lord. And he sat down and played another song. Man, I just, for weeks, I was just mesmerized. I had no idea, Little Richard. He said, yes, honey, me and Clifton Davis, we done went down there to Oakwood College. We took our jewelry and threw it in the ocean, baby. We said, we just gonna be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, but you know, the realness of Little Richard, right? That's the other part about that. The authenticity. The the like I'm I'm not really ashamed, you know, and I'm just going to say whatever I'm going to say and the the authenticity is something that you just don't really get from church people, right? You don't really get that from church folk because both of y'all know growing up in church environments if if you want to know the truth, the last person you want to talk to is a church person. They're going to cover it up. They're going to cover it up for real, for real. But listen, so as y'all know, I'm in the process of trying to memorize this 40-page script. I'm almost there. I'm getting closer every day. And the script is the script a script for a one-man show where I'm performing as August Wilson, African-American playwright. And there's a part of the script where August Wilson is describing what it's like in 1965 when John Coltrane came to perform in Pittsburgh. And he says that the white people who could afford to get tickets to go hear John Coltrane play the saxophone and have dinner and have a show were sitting in the were sitting in the in the space completely unaware of what was doing they were talking about their businesses they were talking about their schedules their days they were networking but he said it was then that he realized that when he walked up on all the black people outside the bar who had their ears to the door listening 
trying to catch any any little note that John Coltrane played. August Wilson said, not knowing what was happening, he walked up. He was a 20-year-old kid. He walked up and said, hey, y'all, everybody turn around. Shh. He said in that moment, he realized that John Coltrane was not playing for the white people inside the bar. He was playing for the black people outside the bar. Because mm. white people inside the bar could not appreciate what he was doing with that instrument. But every black person in the neighborhood knew that John Coltrane was doing something that was expressing all of their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions. And the depth of that is lost on these white people inside that have absolutely little to no appreciation for what John Coltrane is doing with that instrument. And it makes me think back to, v Jay, I'll come to you in one second makes me think back to Vita's point that there, there isn't a there isn't a aspect of music that black people haven't touched right and it reminds me of a quote from Derek Bell one of my favorite thinkers uh, where he writes in one of his essays if there were no black people America would have to invent them and I think that's real powerful, especially when you talk about black music and its impact. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jay. No, no, no apologies. I just think that your thoughts and ideas just um, just kind of solidify something that, you know, what we do on this podcast was that little, that small example of John Coltrane is like communicate connection and community all in one particular circumstance. It's just like do was communicating what you said thoughts and feelings ideas um just a type of a type of i can't even express it but just like a type of feel that a people was going through that they resonated they had their ears pressed to the door and and the people wanted to hear and and they were connecting with this music and it was a that if you think of it as a community out there basically trying to get just a taste of what he was putting out even though people were sitting there in his presence and they just really didn't get what he was talking about. But, you know, everything that we're talking about, we're talking about a form of communication that is expressed through melodic tones that it really connects and resonates with individuals. And it also brings community together with common um, ideas, thoughts, emotion, experiences that allows us to kind of then are inspired to 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 grow inspired to know inspired to to be informed and to become aware like all these things that allows us to continue to push forward to be like you know this you know music is a is a extremely strong form of communication connection and community that um you know is a, for those who are new here is what we is what we you know the pillars of what our podcast is all about you know i i love everything you guys are saying and i especially love you highlighting the important parts of you know really what music brings to us which is that connection community and communication um it, it really made me think about the ways in which you know soulfulness is important to us right um, cause you can't replicate what we do. You just can't think about every, every time people cover our music and it ain't one of us, mm -hmm. it, they might come close, 
mm-hmm. you know there's definitely artists who you know the blue-eyed soul is a thing you know but it's still not the same because those are still the fact that we have to give them their own little section lets you know that it's still not it's, it's, it's their anomalies right but the reality is that you know there's something about our souls that bring that connection that it makes it so we can build that community right that makes it so we can communicate within with each other in a way that other people may not understand um i remember i there was a some audio that went around after it might still be up i don't know if she took it down or not but taylor swift covered september by earth wind and fire mm-hmm. it was as bad as you can imagine it being yeah, that sounds about right. As soon as you said what's wrong, <laughs> oh. it was. It's about as bad as you could imagine it being. And I, it's, it's not. It, it was. It, it was slower. I, I imagine intentionally, but it, it was like they. It, it was like someone zapped all the soul out of it. It was like someone. They call it unseasoned chicken. That I mean, they really tore that girl song up because that's what it essentially was. But even when like I go out and you hear like a cover band, right? Trying to cover black music, it just doesn't have the same soulfulness, right? It just doesn't doesn't have that same zest. Even when the vocal, like I hear certain artists try to imitate our vocal styles, which often come from gospel music originally, right? Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's just something that's missing. It's. I think what's missing is the experience. It, it, and I agree. That's exactly what I think it is. Because it's, it's more than just having the technique. It's more than just being able to imitate our runs. It's something that comes from our spirit, our soul, our DNA. Because all these things are passed down in our mm-hmm. DNA expression, right? Mm-hmm. So just like I talked about when, on the past episodes, where I talked about you know trauma being passed down through our DNA expression, through epigenetics, so is our soulfulness. <laughs> so is our resilience, right? So is our strength. So is our power, right? And I'm, so I'm a strong believer that these things influence our music and what we, how we connect and communicate through our music. You know, two people can hear the same song and get two different messages out of it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that part of that reason is because our cultural influences, our experiences have different connections. So I, I will give you an example. When I was in college, right? And I was a part of the hip hop um, Congress and I was on the board of the hip hop Congress. And there, you know, it's a, it being a college uh, program, you can't discriminate. So like, oh, this would be a black or can't really do that on college campuses as much as you might want to. If people are respectful, they they don't come to your space. But anyway, we had it was a very diverse group, and um, I remember the white guys in the group would come in, and they we would be talking about you know how I say this. You have these guys who were really big into underground hip hop. Which is great because I was in, in you know underground hip hop as well, but they felt like they could tell me what was and wasn't real hip hop, and it would grate my soul because they would tell me so and so was real hip hop because he was quote unquote conscious. This other rapper wasn't because he was gangster rap, right? Because they thought they could tell me conscious rap was better or whatever, right? And what's interesting about that is they were hearing something different than what I was listening to. So I was listening to T.I. and all they heard was drug dealer music. Mm-hmm. I was listening to T.I. and I'm hearing about a, a man who wants to take care of his family. Right? At least those first two, three albums. That's what I was listening to. Right? I'm listening to somebody who wants to take back, who wants to feel like a king, who wants to feel like they're powerful, who wants to feel like they have some control and some agency in the outcome of their life. 
that's a much different message than what this other person was getting because they didn't understand what that felt like to feel powerless because they're a white guy in America at USC right they didn't ever they never had to feel like that so I'm driving down the street bopping to whatever I'm listening to you know money hoes cars and clothes that's how all my niggas roll that's how I'm listening to and I'm feeling powerful I'm feeling like you know I'm not a drug dealer I never don't even know I couldn't tell you how to become get into that life nobody nobody, nobody would approach my square ass with that you know they tell, they tell me my black ass go back to school but you know but there were, but I felt something different when I listened to that music so th- these guys were trying to tell me that is, this is or isn't hip hop or whatever I'm like first of all I am hip hop so you need to chill on whatever you talking about you lucky I didn't let you talk to me <laughs> but about my culture and what we're doing over here but my whole point is just that you know we not there's a there's a something something that we connect with to our music that we hear that we understand that we've seen that we've experienced that make it so when we listen to the music we get something totally different than i think these other spaces and other groups don't understand which is why they can't give us their give us these awards they have to give each other awards for the shit that they only they understand you know they understand imitation they don't understand the spirit of what we create and that's why I love what you said because you said a mouthful when you made the most profound statement that you made It's and it's hard to figure that out because you <laughs> dropped so many gems on us when you're here with us and uh, that's why folk out there love you so much and that's why we love you here too so but, but my point is you said what we do can't be replicated and, and I want to talk for a minute about the concept of genius and art, artistic genius. You know, you could talk to a mathematician and get an explanation step by step as to how that mathematician solved a complicated problem in calculus. You can you can get a mathematician can explain that to you. But ask Van Gogh how he painted Starry Night. Ask Michelangelo how he painted the Sistine Chapel. And they're not going to be able to tell you. You know why? Because it didn't come from any external source. It came from inside them. And I like to think of art, and especially musical art forms, as something that comes from inside that describes emotions. When we do physics and biology and chemistry, we are doing things that give us a description of the external world. But when we are doing music and the lyrics and the poetry that goes along with it, whether it's hip hop or R&B or whatever the case may be, we're not describing the external world. We are giving a portrayal of the internal life of the soul right and it's that soulness that Vita's talking about that soulfulness that responds musically in a way that can't be explained mm-hmm. so i want i want somebody to give me a rational explanation of how stevie wonder wrote overjoyed which i think is one of the most beautiful love songs ever made right mm-hmm. 
you know, I've come much too far for you now to say that I've got to throw my castle away over dreams. I don't want to start singing it because I don't want to ruin go it. Ahead, go ahead, but, chick. But uh, I picked out a perfect come true, right? I mean, the lyrics, you think about that music. You know, when you... When you in when you're in love, when you fall in love with somebody or when you're crushing on somebody, you don't want nobody telling you rational explanations. You want a song, right? And you want a song because what you're feeling is on the inside, right? And you want to express that outwardly. So whether it's whether it's somebody like Stevie Wonder or Luther Vandross or Anita Baker or Sade or whomever whether it's r&b or or hip-hop or jazz whatever the case is all of that is is a description is is a portrayal of the soul it's like music forces us to live from the inside out rather than the outside in and that's what i what i think is so beautiful um about it whether you believe again even if you just accept the bible as a book of stories I think the opening passages of the Bible are instructive because in the beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth. You don't even have to accept any of that as a as an actual proposition. But, you know, you read the first three verses of Genesis, it says in the in the beginning, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And and God said, let there be light. Right. And what's fascinating is it says at the end of Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And if you think carefully about it, nothing is created artistically until the spirit moves. Mm. It isn't until the spirit moves that there is literally like that's the etymology of inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To to stir the spirit, right? When the spirit moves, that's when you get creativity. So I, I like to say that, you know, the first poem ever spoken is let there be light, right? Cause you're in the, you're in the midst of this, uh, wonderfully terrifying moment where you can't describe what's in front of you. And all you can do is tap into what's inside of you and bring it out. And that's where you get the power of artistic creativity. I think it's, I think it's one of the most remarkable phenomenon in the human experience is how we get creative, especially in the face of difficulty. Bars. I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that inspiration thing. I'm sorry. I never heard that before. So, uh, <laughs> stirring the spirit, all bars. I'm definitely going to steal it. So if, uh, you ever hear me say that again, just know I let you know I stole it. I, I, t- I warned you ahead of time I was going to steal oh, it. All right, sorry. <laughs> you can't steal it because I'm finna give it to you, girl. You got it. Well, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. I love it. that. Well, the reason why I love that is because I, I you know, you and I talked about this multiple times in the ways in which I, t- I think of spirituality in itself, right? Like, I don't have a belief in anything supernatural, but I do believe in spirituality in the sense that. There are ways that we connect with each other. And I think music is a great example of that. Something that stirs in you and motivates you is inspirational. I never, I didn't even think about that. And music is definitely inspirational, right? But a lot of people call gospel music inspirational music. Um, things that stir something in you, that motivates you, that make you move, that make you do 
feel, make you cry. It makes you, you know, um, laugh. It makes you party. It makes you enjoy the people around you. One of my favorite things to do as a child was my family, my mother and my aunts would wake us up or call us out of the room to go dance for them. Cause they want us, they want to just dance to, with them to their music. Sometimes it was like Aretha Franklin or James Brown. I don't know why those two always stuck out to me. Um, as the songs to- and the queen, the queen and Jackson five. Yeah. yeah. Like, so Jackson five or the temptations, you know, these were like, I remember them specifically wanting to dance to those songs and dance to those artists. Um, and just, the, the, it, I, so now, even now to this day, it does stir something in me, right? It's inspirational. Um, and it brings something out of me. And I, I didn't even, I love that. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's just funny to know that if we think about a lot of like black, black movies where they actually go back in the day and they're telling like the story of their life. There's almost always a scene where the black family is in the living room and then there's some <laughs> there's some music playing that we all can relate to, whether it's uh, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, um, Temptations or whatever. But it's just like the soundtrack of, of our lives. But it's it's not just ours. It's like our, our, our lived experience culturally is like we grew up sitting in our living rooms and listening or in our you know home environments of some sort whether outside backyard or you know for christmas or or special occasions and we're listening to these music that are really becoming the the recorder of our like a hard drive recorder of like our our lived experience And, and it's a cool thing and that's how we connect and things of that nature. And that's how we have these memories and that we can, you know, reach back into and smile and, and relate to be like, I knew where I was when I heard that song. I knew what's going on when this happened. And, and those are just really special times. Yeah. And appreciating songwriting too, mm-hmm. you know, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Songwriting and singing. I, and I want to say that's something I, I think that, Really, to go back to Motown, I think that's something that we really appreciated at Motown is that they that they weren't just writing hits; they were songwriting machines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of like and Smokey Robinson being, you know, one of the main kings of this, right? If if not the king of just amazing songwriting, and like I think about the songs that he's written for himself for others, um, such as The Temptations, um, and and I think I just think of like. For example, one of my favorite songs is The Way You Do The Things You Do. And I remember being a kid, you know, and just the, it's simple because it's simple to make it pop, make it popular, make it palatable. But they were so meaningful, right? Um, and, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and or, or the entire writing team, really, just, right. just beautiful songs. Even artists, I'm not a, like, I'm not a Diana Ross fan, even a little bit, or the Supremes <laughs> at all. Right. But I can appreciate the songwriting that came out of there. Right. The songs that they sang were still great songs. I can't deny that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we can't let go or we can't ignore also just the just the the lyricism, the, the connection to just to the to the words. Right. No, Vita, I, I love that. Like, think about what it was. Just not to, not to, just want to, I want to inject what you have. Like, who, who, who wrote this, Tim? And you can help. Like, ain't no mountain high enough. I think of Remember the Titans and how that song was uplifting to even that movie and that whole. Well, I, so yeah, 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 right. So, so here's what we're getting at now, y'all. 
we're getting at the merger of music with poetry because here's the beauty of poetry we can do poetically what we can never do in the real world mm. prince got a song called starfish and coffee and this is what this is how the song goes it was 7:45. we were all in line to greet the teacher miss kathleen first came kevin then came lucy third in line was me all of us were ordinary except for cynthia rose who always stood in the back of the line with a smile beneath her nose her favorite number was 20 and every single day if you asked her what she had for breakfast this is what she'd say starfish and coffee maple syrup and jam butterscotch clouds and a tangerine with a side order of hand if you set your mind free baby maybe you'd understand starfish and coffee maple syrup and jam now who is able to make butterscotch and who was able to make a cloud into butterscotch and put it in their lunchbox mm. nobody you can't do that in reality but you know what a little girl can do if in your imagination your poetic imagination you can take that and you can put you can take a uh, butterscotch or you can take a cloud turn it into butterscotch and put it in your lunchbox that's what makes it so beautiful right so Vita mentioned her favorite motown song she got me tripping down motown memory lane now there's a song well, i want to answer jason's question though it was ashford and simpson that wrote that song ashford and appreciate that that was a great that was a great lyric Vita. this is a great lyric uh, uplifting song there's a uh and right is that ain't no mountain high enough ain't no mountain that's right and think about it think about it no now the reality is the mountain is a, there is a mountain high enough to keep you from somebody who you love right <laughs> but when you really love them what that song is basically saying is where there's a will there's a way like there's no mountain that's high enough there's no river that's wide enough no valley that's low enough i'm gonna get there right but my favorite motown song is by marvin gay and tammy terrell and it, it's called uh if i could build my whole world around you right and in the in the song one of the what the i forget all the lyrics but one of the lyrics in the song says uh if i could build my whole world around you i would put heaven by your side and everywhere you walk would be the bluest skies now you can't do that in real life but when you love somebody that's what you want to do right you want to put heaven by their side you want them to walk on rose petals you want all that and to me the merger of poetry and music comes together so beautifully in what Vita is talking about with songwriting because there's no way to express how you're feeling other than to use imagery hyperbole and make all these ridiculous comments about things that everybody knows you can't do really lofty 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 ideals but it's but it's poetic mm -hmm. so you can do it when you in love with somebody people, people say love makes you stupid right when you're really in love with somebody you do stuff like that so it's it's beautiful to see poetry and music come together i'm a i'm a big fan of that uh <laughs> I love that though. I love everything you said right now. I just thought Jason was gonna say something. He just in there grinning. <laughs> I am because I'm like I'm basking in the glory in, in the glory of like music, this topic, how how we are all sharing and how what it does. Like we're talking about something that we're actually have experienced 
and at the same time we're talking about it it's actually making a, a whole new experience a whole new experience about us sharing our experience about how it affects us it's it's incredible i'm just basking. I, I, I was just thinking i wanted to i had an artist that um a, a lot more con- a little a little more contemporary um who isn't from detroit but is actually from philly okay that okay. has a song that's for, that was a really big hit at the time uh-huh. um, at least among black people I don't know if it was a pop hit but it was definitely an R&B hit mm-hmm. and um, Jilly from Philly <laughs> is okay. one of my favorite artists okay. Jill Scott and um, she has a song uh, Let's Take a Long Walk mm-hmm. and to me that's one of my favorite songs it's one of the best songs ever written about a date you know mm-hmm. and it's because it's so simple and it's kind of dates I like, <laughs> number one. And this, but it's, 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 the focus is about connection. Hmm. It, that's the focus. Hmm. And the whole thing is about, you know, how do I connect with you? And it's not about your past, you know, because even the song she says, your background, it ain't squeaky clean shit. Sometimes we all got to swim upstream. Hmm. We, it was, we, uh, we ain't a saint, we all a sinner. But you put your good foot down and make your soul a winner. I respect that. Man, you're so fat. It's so it's like, I, yeah, yeah, I get all you've been through yeah. something. But I'm right, I'm gonna connect with you, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's take a long walk. Uh, you know, uh, it's just it's just such a beautiful idea, you know. It's, it's such a soulful song, right? It's part you know, of after it. dark and find us a place for us to spark. She really talking about smoking weed, but you know, find a place for us to spark conversation. She says conversation, but you know she's 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 an artist. She's she's very talented. She she's says, talking about she's talking about them both at the same time. That's that. That's my that point. Double that entendre she's, coming she's at poet. you. Like, what? Because she's a poet. Right. Find us a spot. Find a place for us to spark. Pause. Conversation. Verbal elation. Right. Mm-hmm. Stimulation. Share our situation. Temptation. Like she just goes in, mm-hmm. and it's just to, to, she's she's just one of my favorite poets favorite artists who can not only emote it with her lyrics but emote it with her vocals emote emote it with her tone right because we know she can sing mm-hmm. but even when she's not singing and belting out the notes she knows how to really give you the 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 texture mm-hmm. of Finesse the emotion that joint. The, yeah and she's sexy with it you know what i mean and she's yeah. confident with it uh-huh. And it's it, it's something about that that sexual confidence in it because it's not about whining because that's one thing I don't that's one thing I will say that it really irritates me now about social media and then everybody trying to make a message and everybody whining I'm not this I don't look this way and I don't fit this image and I gotta whine about it all the time. Jill Scott didn't shit to get fucked with none about it. First of all, she's gorgeous, but right. she didn't fit the image of what R and B artists were supposed to look like at that time. She just didn't. Right? She wasn't Tamia. She wasn't. You know any of these other artists that were you know the hot thing monica or brandy she came out herself i'm sexy i'm talking about dates i'm talking about sex i'm talking about whatever i want to and she was fly as hell doing it mm-hmm. and all of that came out in her music and as a teenager when she came out i appreciated that it hit me without me consciously thinking about it right so jill scott is one of those poets one of those vocalists that you know, I feel like you had to really be there to understand the importance of what she brought. 
you know, she brought attitude. She's talking about whipping a girl's ass because you're talking shit about me and trying to mess up my relationship. That was her first song. <laughs> you get in the way uh, of what I'm feeling. That's that's <laughs> the, the, the people don't understand about Jill Scott. <laughs> Jill Scott is from Philly, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> Philly. that's a Philly girl right there, right? And when you talk about Philly and Philly music, Jill Scott came up in the underground uh, poetry scene in Philly. That's how she came through, really. Now, of course, she can sing and, you know, she has all this other talent. But, <clears throat> excuse me, she she came at a time, uh, I would say, that time period from 95 to 2000, uh, the period where you started getting a lot of Neo Soul. I'm talking about D'Angelo, Lauren Hill, the Fugees, right? All of that, uh, yo, look, I don't even get me started with that era. That yo, just, the Fuji's was hot, bro. The Fuji's, <laughs> and then I, I haven't even mentioned the roots. Yeah, Erica Badu was also right, out Erica, the time. Oh yeah, India Irie, come on. And the oh, and that was my other girl. That's talking another song, another poet. Brown That's another skin. Poet. Brown skin. India Irie, I am not my hair. What? Jeez. No, the song that got me is "There's Hope." That's a, there's a song called yes, There's, Hope. there's Hope. Yep. yep. That just uh, blew me away. It, did, it uplifts me every time I hear it. And yep. the video was one of my favorite songs when it first came out. Another great song for teenage girls. Yep. But There's Hope was like, it don't cost Love. a thing to smile. It don't cost a thing to laugh. You better thank God for that. You know, I just love that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of her. And The Roots... Uh, the lawyer who represented the roots, I used to share office. I didn't share actual office space, but our offices were in the same building. And I had no idea things had blown up for him that much because the roots had a couple albums and I saw him moving out of the building. And I said, where are you going? He said, man, I'm going further downtown. I'm going to be down on Walnut Street. And, you know, to pay rent down there. And he was like, yeah, man, the, the roots, they, you know, they came up big time and so he was and he was their lawyer right he was their lawyer and he was their manager and their business manager and so he uh, eventually ended up uh working and ended up working out for him but was always a fan of of black thought who by the way i think has probably the dopest freestyle ever in the history of freestyles <laughs> i know there have been some good ones i know he shared that with me on youtube yeah yeah but uh my i'm, I'm biased i'm from philly uh, but Black Thought is is definitely one of my favorites, which which makes me want to ask this question, y'all. But he's one of the best MCs ever, too. Just want to be yeah. clear, he's one of the best. I, yeah. I love the roots. Yeah. Black Thought is like the goat. Like that's my man. And I mean, what I love about it is I get to claim him, right? You know, it's you know what the gods have smiled on Philadelphia, right? Because you know we just law we can't we just can't can't nobody claim bill cosby no more right like he got bill cosby got sued again today i saw what? some other woman some other white lady sued him for drugging her and raping her back in 1969 so i don't i don't claim bill cosby no more uh still pr proud of will smith still claim will smith slap notwithstanding still claim Ke kevin hart but I, I'm also very proud that I get to claim Jill Scott and Black Thought, right? Because they are uh, a couple of uh, dope uh, musicians. But let me ask y'all, if there was a genre y'all would like to discuss next week, 
and have a conversation about who is the best within that genre. Who would it be? Y'all want to talk about hip hop next week? And it has to be hip hop, bro. I mean, in my head. Well, the anniversary of hip hop, 50th anniversary of hip hop is this year. Okay. So it has to be hip hop. Yeah. It okay. just has to. So, so y'all heard it, Motown Philly family. Next, next week on episode 44, we're going to be talking about hip hop and we'll get to talk about all the great performers. I mean, we heard a few of them tonight. Uh, MC, uh, DJs. They don't have DJs too much no more nowadays. I guess I'm dating myself when I talk about DJs. But we can talk about DJs. We have to honor DJs. They're the, back, they're the backbone of hip hop. So yeah. we, we have and to. And they, they still exist. There's a, a lot of electronics and technology that goes with it. Their turntables don't look like the way they used to. Right. The wheels of steel, man. Right, right. Yeah. No, I think we got to talk about hip hop because, I mean, just think about like larger culture. I mean, you go to sports events. What are you listening to? I mean, um, it's it's in in everywhere else. Elevators, maybe you just you just hear it. It's it's, just, it's literally the biggest genre in the world right now. Literally, it's the most influential. It's the biggest money maker in, in the world because it's in everything. It's woven. So we've come we've come from rappers' delight in 1979 to all. Well, we no, we gotta go before that. You're talking about parties in the Bronx in 1973. Oh, well, then, so then you're talking about Africa Bambada, right? You got to go way, way Cool back. Herc. You're talking DJ Cool Herc. Because we got to remember, hip-hop was before there was rap. Before there, Because remember, hip-hop started with the DJ. Right. The rapper was just, the, it was the MC. They were MCing the party. But the DJ was the star. So it was See, about the parties. All right. Y'all educating, y'all educating folks. I, I didn't know anything about that. We saving that for next week. You, and you okay, know, I got a documentary for you guys to watch. You guys, y'all got to watch Rumble Kings. It's a great documentary. Rumble, okay. Rumble Kings by Mass Appeal. They did that documentary. It's a great documentary. If you guys can find it, hopefully you guys can find it. <laughs> it used to be on Netflix. I don't know where it is now. Okay, Rumble King. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, one of the great hip hop movies of all time, of course, was. Uh, Oh gosh, the one with Sanaa Lathan, Tay Diggs. Oh, Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar, Brown Sugar. Yeah, yeah. That was. I first thought you were gonna say something like one of those old eighties ones. <laughs> what is it called? Um, Crush Groove. Or Crush Groove or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Crush Groove. Crush Groove. Yeah, so we got to talk about. Uh, we got to talk about all that. We got to talk about. You know, LL. Uh, oh my gosh. LL. Yeah, LL Ice Cube. Uh, Queen Latifah, mm. MC, MC Light, yeah, MC Light. Mm-hmm. Oh man, MC Light made a dope comeback because she was on. Remember Vita? She was on Half and Half. She was the record. right. She was. She was. She was actually a really good actress. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, yeah, really good. good. And but we, but the Queen is Queen Latifah. I love her. Salt and pepper, salt and, salt and pepper, salt and pepper, and Spinderella. Even though they're trying to hate on her, but yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually met Salt. I met Salt. She was very sweet, very sweet. I, you know, I be, I be mean something. I be forgetting until I think about it. But yeah, I actually met Salt. She was very nice, very, very. very I met her, Tracy Edmonds, Bobby Brown, Andre Harrell, all on the same day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. RIP to Heavy D and the boys. Oh, Heavy definitely. D. Rakim. Rakim. KR. I mean, AZ, one of my favorite rappers ever of all time. 
I liked, you know, I liked NWA. Uh, I liked West Coast hip hop. Um, it was good. Uh, yeah, this is a wonderful doc. Was. Get him, V. Get at his neck. You from Philly, but I'm from LA, nigga. You better not be coming at me. Child. Just saying. I mean, we we, we, got, we cannot we cannot deny LA's like huge oh, impact oh, on oh. hip hop. I mean, come I mean, on. That's what I'm saying. Oh, this this oh, panel of where we're from is crazy as far as the contributions to to oh, music and and culture and hip hop and things of that nature. Definitely. Absolutely. We didn't even talk about the Philly soul sound. Right. And we, we didn't even, I didn't even <laughs> Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff and Gamble and Huff and all of the music that they produced with their record label in Philadelphia. I didn't talk about Grover Washington Jr. Right. Saxophone player uh, out of out of Philly. So we got, we got much more to talk about. But hip hop next week. I like that. Hip hop. So that means... Yo, Vita, you gonna have to you gonna have to get us started next week because you know okay. Jason and I, Jason and I, Jason and I know hip hop, but you were like you know in the hip hop scene. You was um, writing for a hip hop blog and. But remember, my era is two thousands, so my era is like late nineties, two thousands. And now, so I also love just being just observing, like you know. Tim is Tim is definitely cleaning up the seventies, going to the eighties. Me with the eighties and and nineties, really, and then just kind of show you know ushering it okay. in with, with Vita. Like that's that's real cool, yo. What we'll do next week, y'all, for y'all who are listening, we're gonna work backwards, right? We're gonna start <laughs> current day, right? And Vita gonna get us talking about hip hop, and then we're gonna slide into Jason, and then we're gonna come back. To yours true. Okay. So it's gonna be man, it's gonna be a great conversation. Y'all know sometimes I have to pinch myself and ask myself if I'm dreaming. Am I dreaming that I get to sit here and talk with two of the dopest people <laughs> in the world Yo. about music and art and things that I love? Man, you just don't understand how how wonderful it is to be me. Because I got all these dope people in my life. So, and that includes all of y'all out there who are listening, Motown. Definitely, definitely. So, listen, Vita, where can they find you, girl? Where can folks you, find you? You guys can always find me on Twitter at Lifestar Media, L I F E S T A R M E D I A. You can also find me on Instagram at Vita Star. V I D A S T A R R. Um, yeah, those are the best places to find me. Also, on Champagne Sharks podcast. So, you can go to Champagne Sharks. You can find us on any platform. You can also go to our website, champagnesharks.com. Jay, where you at, man? Where you at out there in them social media streets? Yo, you guys can find me on Instagram at the speaker's mechanic. I am your speech and voice and communication coach you can find me on linkedin at jason hall communication skills coach and all of those are the main places i hang out what about you tim where can we find you y'all can find me on instagram at a good golden man on twitter at drtj golden esq 
And you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things in life are absolutely certain. Death, taxes, and I am the only black man in Walla Walla, Washington. From Philly. Named <laughs> Tim Golden. I guarantee it. You can take that check to the bank and they fit in the cash. I can tell you that right now. Listen, y'all, next week, y'all better tune in because we're going to have a discussion about hip hop that is going to be mind blowing. We're going to start off with Vita, go to Jason, and then your boy will bring up the weird rear. We might even have a debate about who's the best MC, who's the best DJ, the best freestyle. What's the best era? What's the best era? Do you like East Coast, West Coast? We got it all for you next week, y'all. We just can't wait. We hope y'all enjoyed tonight's conversation. Vita, did you want to chime in and say say a word or two about next week? Or are you good? Oh, I mean, I'm just excited. I hope I hope I can do the conversation justice. That's all. But I am excited. That's for sure. I, if I'm Jason, if me and you are having a conversation about hip hop with Vita, I don't think it's Vita that needs to be working. She's going to do it justice. I think me and you need give to it be talking about whether we can do it justice. Just give it a mic. Yes, yes, yes. Well, well I we- think hip hop is a great genre to talk about in regards to community. So I feel like it's one of the most communal genres. So I love it. Absolutely. So Definitely. listen, y'all, tune in next week, and we got some. Dope things coming up down the road. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And I do believe right about this time, we are out of here like Vladimir. Peace.